Well, it's been a while since I've been in this chair with you, and man, do I have a lot to say. I am Monica Crowley in today for Sean Hannity. So happy to be with all of you today. I love this week between Christmas and New Year's. I absolutely love it. It's always so relaxing and fun. And even if you're working, it's a far more relaxed week than usual. And, uh, you know, I love this great kind of national collective pause, which we all so desperately need especially this year. So I hope you all had a very happy Christmas and you're getting ready for a great new year, which let's hope will be better than the last two. Lord knows we need it. This will be the year that we no longer tolerate anything less than what we deserve, including most of all, our most basic rights and freedom. We've given way too much of it away and next year we're taking it back. We're going to have a ball on the show today because we're all about the truth. And we are going to deal with Joe Biden, the demented, doddering, corrupt fool of a president, and Kamala Harris, the incompetent, annoying, bullying fool of a vice president. Where are we with these two communists and where are we going? We're going to get into that. Also, at the end of next week, on January 7th, the Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments on Biden's illegal and unethical vaccine mandates. We're going to talk to the great attorney, Harmeet Dillon, about all of it. Harmeet actually has a client she is representing who is challenging the mandate. There are a bunch of different uh, petitioners on this. She's representing one of them. So she's going to be here to tell us what to expect. I also have a very very interesting question for Hermit, one that I have not heard asked, and I'm not an attorney, but it struck me the other day. I was talking to somebody who said, this is the angle that we need to take on this. So I'm going to ask her a very intriguing question about these legal challenges and what is going behind uh, behind closed doors and what's going in front of the Supreme Court. So you're not going to want to miss that. Also, I know that this time of year can be really fun for a lot of people. We just talked about this week and how festive and relaxed it is. But for a lot of other people, including our great military veterans, this can be a very dark time. We are losing our military veterans to suicide at a very high rate. It's still about 22 military veterans losing, losing them to suicide per day. And that should concern all of us. This is not how a great country should should deal with our greatest veterans. So we're going to talk to, a little later in the show, we're going to talk to Paul Lavelle, who is the founder and president of Operation Restored Warrior, a fantastic organization that intervenes with our most at-risk military veterans who are emotionally and spiritually broken and even suicidal. And this group saves their lives, and they do it through faith. It's really a remarkable group with a remarkable way of healing our military vets. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's coming up. Also, I am going to bring you the most underreported story of the year. The most underreported story, actually, of the last couple of years. So you're not going to want to miss that either. If you want to call in, join the conversation, 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326. 800-941-7326. So talk to me. Join our, 
our conversation here. I would love to hear from you. Also, please don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Monica Crowley and on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore. So first up, you know, I I know a lot of you know this about me, but uh, I I was extremely honored and blessed to have served as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Trump administration. I did it for nearly two years, and it really was the adventure of a lifetime, working on Trump's incredible economic policies that delivered a booming economy. Tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our great energy sector, fair trade deals for our workers, small businesses, farmers, fishermen, industries. It was such an honor and so much fun to work on the Trump agenda, to work on the Trump economy, and also to communicate all of the great things that we were delivering for the American people. I loved every minute of it. So things were booming. The economy was thriving. And that was not a coincidence. That was a direct result of Trump's pro-growth economic policies didn't just materialize out of thin air. Pro-growth economic policies gave us real economic growth, wage growth, historically low unemployment for every demographic group, record low poverty rates for African-Americans in particular, but across the board, little to no inflation, and for the first time in modern history, a narrowing of the wealth and wage gaps between the highest earners and lower income workers. You know how the left is always talking about income inequality? I mean, you hear it constantly from Elizabeth Warren and Bill de Blasio and and Biden and so on. Well, they're constantly talking about it, but they never do anything about it. Trump actually did it. And he did it because he created a true blue collar boom. He actually elevated the incomes, the wages of lower income workers more than those at the top. And that's how he was able to narrow the wage and wealth gaps. So he actually put his money where his mouth is and did it. Then, of course, the pandemic hit. And I think a lot of us have lost sight of the fact that this was a completely unprecedented situation. We had not been through anything like this before in 100 years since the Spanish flu in 19, what, 17? So it wasn't like Trump or the Treasury Secretary, who was my direct boss, or anybody else could have picked up the phone and called a predecessor and said, hey, what did you all do during the last pandemic? There was no one to call. It had not happened in the modern age. People really forget that because we live in a highly judgmental society where people just are are passing judgment on our leadership so fast and furious, especially Trump, uh, who can never do any good, according to his critics, that people have lost sight of that fact, that he was flying without a net from the beginning, as was everybody else in his administration. And they did a damn good job. So in early to mid-January of 2020, I want to remind all of you of, of a couple of things here. Because, again, we've sort of lost sight of this. In that time period, China sent a delegation to the White House to sign the phase one trade deal. Remember that? I was in the East Room for that signing. It was like January 8th or 9th, 2020. The Chinese knew what this virus was all about, how communicable it was, how transmissible it was, that it was killing a lot of people in China. 
They were about to start locking down Wuhan and other cities because it was so contagious. Chinese sent a big delegation to the White House. They kept their lips zipped, did not say a word about it, signed the trade deal, and then went back to Beijing. A lot of people suspect that, you know, they they covered up COVID. They're still covering up COVID, the origins and everything else. But a lot of people suspect that they didn't say anything because they wanted to get the trade deal signed. Then a week after that, January like 20th of 2020, I went with the Treasury Secretary. The president went as well to Davos, to the World Economic Forum. The Chinese sent a delegation of 350 people to this small, snowy, cold Swiss town called Davos for the World Economic Forum. 350 from the Chinese delegation in small, overheated, overcrowded rooms, coughing on us, sneezing on us, shaking our hands. President was there for one day, made a great speech, uh, which, of course, the globalists hated, and then came back to Washington. And from that point on, we were off to the races with this pandemic. Again, Trump, everybody around him, was flying without a net. And, and he put in all kinds of innovative policies to deal with it. Travel bans from China and Europe, he got pounded for that. All kinds of programs like the Paycheck Protection Program, which we at Treasury helped to oversee, which saved an estimated 51 million small businesses and small business jobs. And of course, Operation Warp Speed, the development and distribution of the vaccines and therapeutics and and so much else, which was really the biggest mobilization since World War II. Again, Trump did all of this on the fly in an unprecedented situation to get the American people through the most acute phase of this unprecedented crisis. And he kept the economy on life support until we could open again, which was like May of 2020. January 20th of this year, Trump handed Biden the fastest economic recovery from any crisis on record. That's leadership. What we have now is not leadership. This is Marxism led by a mumbling, bumbling, out of it fool. The result? A weakening economy, skyrocketing inflation, a labor crunch, a supply chain crisis, a catastrophic debacle in Afghanistan, Americans left behind, a wide open border with all of the problems that that brings, surging crime, cities in crisis and collapse, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea and terrorist groups emboldened and on the march and suffocating COVID restrictions that make zero sense two years later. This is an epic failure of leadership. We have never seen such a fast and total collapse of public faith and confidence in our leadership. Never. And this is an extremely dangerous moment for the country and for every single American, both here and abroad. I'm Monica Crowley. We have so much more coming straight up. Again, the number is 800-941-SEAN, 800-941-7326. I am Monica Crowley. We are coming right back. He's no show Joe. No kidding. Have a problem? Stayed in trouble? No power? No water? No heat? No Joe. 
Yep. He's too busy taking a nap. It's a sad state of affairs. Sean Hannity. I want to ask you about something I asked weeks before the election when we sat down. Uh, you said you would absolutely serve eight years if elected. Do you plan to run for re-election? Yes. But look, I'm a great respecter of fate. Fate has intervened in my life many, many times. If I'm in the health I'm in now, if I'm in good health, then in fact, I would run again. And if that means a rematch against Donald Trump? You're trying to tempt me now. <laughs> sure. Why would I not run against Donald Trump for the nominee? That increased the prospect of running. Oh, my God. He's such a dope. Joe Biden is such a dope. I am Monica Crowley in today for Sean. Big thanks to Sean for having me guest host for him today. And thanks to the fabulous Linda for hooking me up and Katie and Jason, who I can see through the glass in the studio. They've been amazing. 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326 is our number to call in and get into the conversation. Um, We're talking about leadership and I wanted to play that clip because, I, I mean, when you're a Democrat, you're on the left, you have the protection of the press forever um, until you don't. And we're going to get into that, too, because I find that a fascinating conversation. But when you spent your whole life like Joe Biden being cosseted and protected by the press, you th- you actually believe your own hype and you think that you're doing a great job and you think that the people love you because that's what your staff is telling you. And the press press has so protected you that you just sort of bubble along. Biden is like Mr. Magoo. Now that I think about it, he's like Mr. Magoo. Remember Mr. Magoo blind and he'd walk on beams and as he was about to step off the end of a beam, another beam would come up to greet him. So we never fell. That was Joe Biden. He's Mr. Magoo. I can't believe I haven't thought of this before. It is the perfect analogy. But there he is going, oh, yeah, bring on Trump. Why wouldn't I love that rematch? Well, be careful what you wish for, because if the American people have a choice between strong leadership in Donald Trump, an absolute alpha male versus the beta male doddering fool, Mr. Magoo, I I think the choice at this point is pretty clear. We got more dismal news from the clown show that uh, that is Biden and Harris. Brand new polling. Listen to this. According to a new INI tip poll, when voters were asked if they supported Biden and Harris for reelection, get this. Only 22 percent said they supported Biden for reelection. Twenty two. And an abysmal. 12 percent, 12 percent. Can't even keep a straight face reading this story. 12 percent supported Harris for a reelection. I mean, guys, this is so bad. This is like apocalyptic bad. uh, Biden's job approval numbers also really, really terrible. Circling the drain. Wall Street Journal poll just out puts Biden approval rating at a dismal 41 percent. Rasmussen has it at 42. And a civics poll, also just out, has Biden at 36%. Congress is at 22, so maybe that's small comfort for Biden. I don't know he's down where Congress is. 
All right, we got more on this, plus your calls when we come back. Hey, everybody, I'm Monica Crowley, and today for Sean, our number is 800-941-SEAN. That's 800-941-7326. And I got so much more on vaccines. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court case that's coming down the pike next week on Biden's unconstitutional vaccine mandates. Let's at least hope that the Supreme Court uh, sees them in an unconstitutional way because they clearly are. Uh, And we're also going to talk to the founder of Operation Restored Warrior about, you know, this time of year especially can be dark for a lot of people. Depression, anxiety, being around your family, I think everybody can relate to that. But we are losing our military veterans still at a clip of about 22 a day. So we're going to talk to the founder of a phenomenal organization. That's coming up as well, and I'll tell you how you can help. Let's say hi to Tim listening in Montana. Hi, Tim. Hi. How are you, Monica? I'm great. How are you? Uh, uh, section that said, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and they say, oh, I don't know if Trump should run because he's not very nice, you know, in his tweets and stuff. And I said, hey, he's not going to be your best friend. He's just going to continue to be the best leader this country's ever had. Look at what he's done. And I, I, wish, I wish I could give a list and put it on their forehead that says, hey, read this in the mirror and look what Trump has done for you. And yeah, yeah you, don't get it. you know what? Be your best friend. You're exactly right. Trump was not there to make friends. Okay, and if you're president of the United States and you're looking to make friends, you were in the wrong line of business. Remember Harry Truman said, uh, he famously said, if you're president or if you're in Washington and you're looking for a friend, get a dog. And that's exactly right. Thank you, Tim. Um, y- you can't be a strong, effective leader and and really want to be liked. You want to be respected. That's where your job approval numbers come in. Respect. OK, not about being liked. Um, and yet, you know, Biden just he's Mr. Magoo. He thinks he's liked. He's not. Nobody can stand him. And speaking of nobody can stand people uh, in high office. How about Kamala? Let's discuss her for a moment, shall we? Because, uh, you know, there's been some conversation about her, but I have not weighed in publicly yet about Ms. Harris, the vice president. So I'm gonna. The Democrats have a serious serious problem you know all this talk about trump and everything trump is a strong leader and and by the way to tim's point uh everybody who didn't like trump they were all like oh his tone right we heard it constantly the mean tweets and everything but at at base people had a big problem with trump's tone well now you got tone it's senile tone but you got tone but you have the country spiraling into, you know, uh, around the drain. It's circling the drain. It's becoming a bleephole country. But you got tone. Could go for some mean tweets right about now. So the Democrats, you know, all the, 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 because the press focuses still on Trump, because they're still obsessed with him, kind of stories about the Republicans and, uh, you know, is Trump going to run again? Should he run again? What's the base going to do? Blah, blah. Well, they're ignoring the elephant, or I should say the donkey in the room, because the Democrats have a very serious problem, not only going into November, where the the generic polling now on would you vote for a Republican or a Democrat for your member of Congress, that is now, now showing a Republican advantage between four and 10 points. The, the one poll that showed a 10 point spread, that is the biggest gap ever in the history of the generic poll. So assuming that those elections will be clean in every district and state, which is a big assumption, 
But assuming clean elections, this looks like it's going to be a landslide. Nothing is a given. A million things could happen. But as of now, it looks very, very good for Republicans. Going into 2024, I think the Democrats have an even bigger problem. Biden ain't running. He is not running. I know he says he is. He is not. Biden is eating soft foods. He's going to bed at 7 p.m. And he's hanging with his visiting angel's nurse now. Okay, now. So imagine what he's going to be like in three years. There is no way he is making it to a re-election campaign in 2024. No way. He can barely hold his head up. He's eating strained peas now. So, no, the Democrats are going to need another candidate at the top of the ticket. And it's going to have to be Kamala. And wait, hear me out. The only reason she was chosen for vice president is not because of her scintillating personality and her charm and her political skills. Oh, no. (laughs) She was chosen because she ticked two very important boxes for the Democrats. She was black and she was a woman. For those reasons, she is going to have to be the nominee because if they ditch her, the left is going to lose their minds. There's a very specific political reason here for this. Black voters still form the base of the Democratic voting bloc. And out of that, in particular, black women are the most reliable and I I do think passionate voters for the Democrats. And they like and support Kamala. When you see her putrid poll numbers, what's actually holding her up? The 12% who said they want her reelected, those are black women for the most part. They like and support her. So the Democrats cannot afford to alienate black women. If they ditch Kamala Harris, black voters, especially those black women, will be pissed. And it's not like they're going to start voting for Trump or DeSantis or whoever is at the top of the ticket for the Republicans, but they probably will stay home. This is going to be an identity politics feeding frenzy, an explosion of identity politics. So the Democrats are stuck with her. And she is the most unpopular vice president in American history. People talk about Spiro Agnew, Dan Quayle, Walter Mondale. She is the most unpopular VP in history. She cannot win a general election. Hell, she couldn't even win a single Democratic primary. She dropped out before even one was held because she was polling at 3% among Democrats. So, no, she can't win. No one likes her. She drags down everything she touches, and the Democrats are stuck with her. So it's quite delicious, actually. I'm, I'm quite enjoying what's playing out on the other side. You live by identity politics. You die by identity politics. Now, there is one caveat to this. They could replace her, but it would have to be with a woman and a person of color. Even replacing her with a gay candidate like Pete Buttigieg is not going to do it. So they could replace her with a Stacey Abrams or a Michelle Obama. But even then, the diss to Kamala, a black woman, would be very tough to take, even if they replace her with another black woman. It's not going to go down well with black voters, especially black women. So I I think 
And there's one further caveat to what I just said, which is that the, the one exception to this is probably Michelle, because she is big enough that she could probably overwhelm a lot of this identity politics tidal wave that's going to come crashing down on them if the Democrats try to break up with Kamala. It'll be like a fatal attraction. Um, she's going to sit bolt upright in the bathtub. Um, if they stick with Kamala, they're screwed. If they don't stick with Kamala, they're screwed. So this is a win-win for us. 800-941-SEAN, 800-941-SEAN. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about Kamala and how this all relates to to Biden and, and so on. Kamala gave an interview over the weekend and she was asked, and this gets to the, the bigger identity politics point, too. She did an interview with uh, Face the Nation, and she was asked this past weekend to address criticism by the Democrats that, you know, there are some who are trying to protect her, who uh, are not throwing her down the stairs, at least not yet, although plenty of people are. But the ones who are trying to protect her are saying, wait a minute, hold up. Uh, she was given a god-awful portfolio, like the border. And a couple of other things. First of all, if you're the president or the vice president or a cabinet secretary, you are there to deal with the hard issues. So don't give me this nonsense that, oh, she's given she's given a portfolio that's too hard. You're there. If you don't want to deal with the hard issues of America, don't accept the position. Don't run for it. Turn it down. But now her protectors are saying, well, she's being set up to fail. Now, to Kamala's credit, she said, no, I I don't think I'm being set up to fail. You know, tough issues come to me and so on. So she didn't play victim there, although she did play victim in another way by playing the race card. The problem for her is that she's not addressing any of the tough issues she's been handed. It's not that she's been set up to fail. Oh, these issues are too hard. I'm a girl. She's not saying that. The problem is she's not dealing with any of them. She's not solving any of these issues. She's not dealing with them in any way. Now, maybe that's due to her supreme incompetence. Maybe it's due to the fact that the left wants these issues to fester so that they can destroy the country and exploit the chaos. Maybe both. But she is an epic failure at her job, not because she's not radical. She is. But because she's grossly incompetent, she can't even execute the radicalism properly. And on top of it, she's immensely unlikable. No one can stand her, including her own staff, which is leaving her in droves and leaking on her like crazy. They've been leaking that she cultivates a toxic work environment. There was one person who was quoted in the Washington Post as saying, working for her is a constant amount of soul-destroying criticism. I mean, it's really bad. They're using swear words to describe working for Kamala. And you know what? She had this problem in California, and she had this problem in the Senate, too. Her bullying and incompetence stuck to her like a cloud. She's like Pigpen, the Pigpen cloud in Peanuts. Okay, the bullying and the incompetence follow her everywhere. Top advisors are leaving. More are eyeing the exits. They cannot wait to get out of there and away from her. It's really remarkable to see. You know, these jobs are very rough. And I know I served two years as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. Um, 
these jobs are tough at the highest levels of government. They are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are never off the clock. The pressure is enormous. Every move is scrutinized. Your life is not your own. So people tend to stay a year, two years, then leave. But for so many to leave her at once... And, and all of them leaking against her. This is not good. There is something rotten in the vice president's office, and it is her. She is the problem. So we're going to talk about this and what she has in common with Hillary Clinton on the other side of the break. 800-941-SEAN, if you want to give me a call. I am Monica Crowley in today for Sean Hannity. CBS TV, and it's the news like nobody else. This is the Sean Hannity Show. Monica Crowley in today for Sean. Thank you so much for joining me. 800-941-SEAN, 800-941-7326 if you want to get in on the conversation. Um, you know, before the break, we were talking about Kamala Harris because so many people are focused on Biden, but I, I know he's the president in quotes. He's the president, um, but he is basically a non-entity. So a lot of focus has got to be on her. Now, a lot of people are saying uh, based on my what what I laid out before the break, my theory about how they're going to have a very difficult time getting her out unless they replace her with another black woman like Stacey Abrams or Michelle, um, if either one of those are are interested. Uh, Stacey Abrams probably, definitely. Uh, Michelle, not so sure, maybe. Um, but they could, you know, pay off Kamala to go. They, they've got to get her to step down somehow. She's very ambitious, so it's not going to be easy. They could pay her to keep quiet, maybe hold a gun to her head, figuratively, of course, if they've got compromising material on her or something, and ease her out so that she sort of gracefully uh, steps aside. But again, this is a very complicated dance that they're playing because it's all identity politics all the time. She is the problem. I mean, there, there's no way to fix Kamala. You know, like West Side Story is, is now out. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve a problem like Kamala? When the problem is you, what do you do? Well, it, you can't really fix it because nobody's going to tell her the truth. Oh, hi, Madam Vice President. Um, the problem is you. Your personality is horrible. No one finds you authentic. You're a fake and a phony. You're terrible at your job. You aren't very smart. Your laugh is like nails on a chalkboard. You're phony and obnoxious. Yeah, nobody is going to say that to her, just like nobody ever said it to Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, they continue to walk around in delusion. And the aides around Kamala who are left are trying to put Band-Aids on a carotid artery bleed out. Not going to work. So back in July, the Babylon Bee, which is a brilliant satire site, posted this. To improve public perception, Kamala Harris taking likability lessons from Hillary Clinton. Funny, right? Well, now it's even funnier because it's true. I'm not kidding. Kamala Harris actually had Hillary Clinton to the White House, to her office, last month to talk about how to be more likable. I wish I were making this up, but I'm not. Monica Crowley, in for Sean.